You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in the book of Romans this morning, Romans chapter 10. And if you would stand as we open God's word and uh, make a few opening comments here, and then we'll get into it. And you say, well, you're not allowed to be in Romans. It's Genesis. It's Sunday morning. Well, I can, I'm departing, okay? I'm breaking the rule here and getting out of the series for just uh, one week, and that is because of Missions Revival. And uh, we've got a big week ahead of us. First, let me mention, too, and I haven't said, uh, said this in this room uh, for this service yet, is that the missions offering is today. And so for our church members, uh, I want to encourage you to seek what the Lord would have you give for that. And give sacrificially, give willingly, give, um, with, give enough that you, fi- you find yourself, uh, you've got some skin in the game when it comes to missions. And that you think, well, if I'm going to give, I'm going to be here at every service this week. I'm going to do what I can to get the most I can out of missions revival this week. And that will help us to take care of our missionaries and be a blessing to them. Um, but it also helps us in giving. And uh, I hope that you have prayed about that and will consider that both in this service and tonight's service. We'll receive the missions offering at the end of the service in our regular offering on the way out. Um, I'm making a departure, though, today because of missions revival. It starts Wednesday night. We have missionaries coming in to our guests that may not be familiar with something like that. We have preaching um, services. It starts Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night at 7 11.30 on Saturday morning, we've got a missionary wife service, and then we have Sunday services next week, all day normal times. But you might think, that's a lot. And I say, yes, it is a lot, but not when you consider that our mission as a New Testament church is the Great Commission. Our mission is to spread the gospel to those that need to hear it. And so you can't ask too much. And we were just talking about there's, there's, no, there's nothing greater than God's grace. Well, as a church, there's no greater calling than to the Great Commission. And that's why we're focusing on it as we are. That's why I'm preaching about it this morning. I think it'll give us some clarity as we prepare for the missions revival about our role and the importance of what, of what I should do as an individual in the area of missions. Paul gives a very clear process. And we'll begin reading in verse 11 Romans chapter 10, verse 11, it says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And can I just stop there and say there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. In other words, uh, in God's economy... Um, the color of your skin, where you come from, the language you speak, it makes no difference to God at all. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Um, there is one race to God, and that's the human race. He is colorblind, and I'm thankful that we serve a God that includes everybody. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Notice the process. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God. We're going to stop our reading there and focus on the two verses, 14 and 15. How, shall they, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? There's a process there that we have a very important role in. And if, this, if we skip a step, the process stops. One misstep stops the process, and the title today, it sounds a little far-fetched, but bear with me. I'm calling it Rube Goldberg and Missions. Rube Goldberg and Missions. The best part of the message may be the title. So <laughs> let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, we do ask that you'd bless it. Thank you for allowing us to stand and read it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. When I was about nine years old, I remember waking up and watching Saturday morning cartoons. Anybody remember the days of Saturday morning cartoons? Back when cartoons only showed on Saturday mornings and not all the time on some channel. When I was a kid, I remember waking up and watching Saturday morning cartoons. And I remember specifically when a, an advertisement came on uh, in one of the Saturday mornings, which is a genius time uh, to show advertisements, by the way, and commercials. Uh, I remember watching this commercial for this board game called Mousetrap. Anybody remember the game Mousetrap? Okay, many of you do. It still actually is being sold. As a matter of fact, now looky here. I've, I've actually, I've got it right here, Mousetrap. And for those of you that, that are aware of how this works, um, the game is that you play as a little mouse and you go around the board and you try to collect little cheese pieces and you try to steal them from the other mice. And then if one of the mice ends up on the right spot, you can set the trap in motion and try to catch them. You don't want to be caught in the trap, obviously. But, but one of the, the things about this game that was so interesting is that to, to set it in motion, there was one piece at the very beginning that, that, you, that you pull back and it's attached to a rubber band. And I'm looking at it right here. It's attached to a rubber band. You pull it back and it slaps this little marble and sends this marble down a pathway. And it goes around curves and does these little things. And it gets to this other part that actually takes it up, the marble up to this bin. And in the bin, once it's in the bin, it drops down and then it hits a little seesaw. I wish you could all see it here. Spiritually enlightening message here today. The little marble drops down and hits the seesaw right here. And on the seesaw, there's a little soldier. And that little soldier is supposed to flip up and land on this one area that hits a piece. And on the top of that piece is a basket. And that basket kind of makes its way down. And if there's a mouse sitting on the spot underneath the trap, it traps the mouse. And that mouse is done. Okay, so you probably understand how that works. It, it's that one step leads to another step, which leads to another step. And I just do, I do have to say that as a kid, uh, as much as I wanted this game to be wonderful, I found it extremely frustrating. Because you would go through and you'd put all the pieces in place and you would do it exactly like they said to do it. And you would put the marble in motion and somewhere along the line, inevitably, that marble would stop and something wouldn't work the way that it was supposed to. And maybe it was too complicated or maybe as a kid I just wasn't good at following directions. I don't know. But this is an example of what they call a Rube Goldberg machine. And a Rube Goldberg machine is, is named after an American cartoonist, I think, from the 30s. And, 
and he used to draw these machines, these kinds of machines. His name Rube Goldberg, and and it's designed to 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 fulfill a simple task in a complicated way. Like for instance, in this one, the trap is supposed to come down on the mouse. Well, I could just set the basket on a mouse anytime I wanted if I really wanted to. But the point of the machine is that it makes it make, makes a simple outcome happen through a series of complicated events. One thing leads to another thing, which leads to another. And as a kid, um, I found that most of the time, it just didn't work the way it was supposed to. There was always that one little spot that didn't work like it was supposed to, and, and it, wouldn't, it, it wouldn't actually go through. I think about dominoes. That's a, a simple example of the Rube Goldberg uh, theory or, or concept is that you have dominoes and one domino knocks down another and you set all these things up. But as a kid, when you would set up dominoes, there was inevitably something would go wrong. You would usually hit the dominoes before you were supposed to and it would all, they would all collapse and you wouldn't have anything to show for it. You have to start over. Well, that's kind of the way um, it goes in life sometimes is that one missed step stops the process. I think just this last week I was, I was mowing and, and getting, taking leaves up, you know, that had fallen in the yard and, and uh, bagging them. And I stepped off the curb and, and I did something to my foot and I've been dealing with it all week. One missed step. Uh, one missed traffic, traffic sign can make a big difference. One missed bill that needs to be paid can make a big difference, can it? I mean, one missed assignment in school, one, you know, there, you know how, you, you get what I'm saying. One little thing, important processes break down all the time, but it's not usually because everything breaks down at the same time. It's usually because one thing happened and it stopped the whole process. And this is also true in the work of God when it comes to missions. See, Paul begins chapter 10, and he's dealing with Israel's rejection of Christ. The, the Israel, Israel's God's chosen people. They're, they're God's chosen people, and God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to offer the kingdom, and they rejected him. They thought they were doing right by keeping the law. They didn't realize, and they didn't, they didn't get his message that salvation is not by our works, it's by faith. Look at verse 9 of chapter 10. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Paul makes it very clear here that salvation is on a heart level. It begins with belief. It begins with faith in somebody's heart. And listen, even though we're sinners, Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day as we sang this morning to give us victory over sin and death. Salvation is available for those willing to believe the Bible's message and place their faith in Christ alone. Look at verse 13. In case you think salvation is complicated, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, this morning, we've got some, I guarantee, in this room, and you're a whosoever, and you think, well, God can't save me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've come. You don't know how far I've gone. And yet, it says there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, you are a whosoever. Salvation is available to you. It doesn't matter where, you, where you've come from. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter your background. You're, as a whosoever, salvation is available. 
Paul's message is that the gospel then is universal. Can we assume that based on what he's saying? It's not the Jew, it's not the Greek, it's everybody, there's no difference. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, can we then assume that the gospel is universal based on what Paul's saying? It's available to everybody. Listen, everybody's disqualified from, from heaven because of their sin, but everyone is eligible for heaven because of Christ's payment for it. Your sin has disqualified you, but Christ's payment on your, for, in your place on the cross has made you eligible if you simply will believe. And that's Paul's message. And it provides a natural lead-in to verse 14, which is where our focus is. Because the gospel is universal, he wants to help the Romans see the importance of giving the gospel. See, listen, here's kind of what's happening here. Is Paul is saying, listen, God has done his part. He sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins. And if we simply believe by faith from our hearts and receive his payment for our sins, we can be saved. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. There's no difference at all. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul is saying, listen, God has done his part. He's made the gospel available. He's made it. It's universal. Anybody can have it. But but, but there's an important piece here that Paul wants them to get is that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to make people aware of the fact that that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's kind of like a Rube Goldberg machine, though, the way that Paul describes it. Because he says, yes, the gospel is universal, it's available for everybody, but there's a, there's a process that takes place for someone to get to that point. And the point that he's making is one misstep ends the process. If we don't do what we're supposed to do in this process, the gospel doesn't take effect like it could. So we need to understand the steps that we're likely to miss. So where does the gospel end? What, what, what is it that says this is the end? Well, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? The, the, the final step in, this, in the gospel process is calling, calling upon. This is the same idea as placing your faith in. The idea here is that it's, now listen, a lot of people believe that calling is about the prayer that you pray. There's a lot of people that think that if I say the right words, then that's calling on the name of the Lord. If I say uh, these words or this prayer, and depending on your religious background, you may think there's a certain set of words that you have to say to please God. But that's not the idea here. The idea here is not, well, say the right words. No, the idea here is that you come to terms with the fact that you are so desperately lost because of your sin and you need God's help that you turn to him and cry to him as your only hope for salvation. That's the idea. It's not about the words that you say. We could go, we could read how Peter, when he was walking on water and he got his eyes off of God and onto the waves and onto the storm and he started to sink. What does he say? He says, Lord, save me. And we don't look at that and say, well, guess what? Peter was saved because he said exactly the right thing. There's a formula for words, Peter, in order to call upon Jesus. And you've got to say the right thing. No, all he knew is in that moment, if Jesus Christ didn't intervene in his life, he was hopeless and and he would be lost. And that's what call upon means. 
That's what call on him means. It's that we simply come to the place that we understand our sin and we understand the gospel and we cry out to Jesus Christ to save us. It's not about the words. It's not even about the action of crying. It's about the heart understanding that you know without Jesus you have no hope. And listen, this is part of the gospel process. This calling, this placing your faith in Christ. This is part of the process, but for many people it ends right here. See, they've heard the gospel and they understand they heard the full message, but they get to the place where it's time to place their faith in Jesus Christ and they just won't do it. I know people like that. You probably know people like that. They understand it. They've heard it. They know backwards and forward. But they get to the place where it's time to simply place their faith. It's time to make a choice. And they refuse to do it. And when that happens, the gospel process stops. So if this is a Rube Goldberg machine, they're right at the point of it all working together. But they stop the process because they don't call. Because they don't place their faith in Jesus Christ, and it's sad that it can get to that point, but many people are there. But there's, not, there's something, though, that comes before calling. See, it's the calling. You don't just, oh, well, there's one step, you just call, and if you call, that's it. No, there's a step before that, and look at verse 14 again. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not, what's the word? Believed. See, belief means to be persuaded or have some confidence that something is true. Well, what are you supposed to believe when it comes to salvation? Well, again, look up in verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Listen, we, saved, he, we sang he lives this morning. A resurrected Christ is essential to someone's salvation. You must believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because if he rose from the dead, that means he was buried. And if he was buried, he had to die. So by accepting the fact that he rose from the dead, you are accepting the whole gospel. And if he's alive, folks, he's no ordinary man. If Jesus Christ is alive right now, he's not like anybody else you and I have ever met. For you to be saved, you must believe he's not just an ordinary man, but that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that he died for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again in victory over sin and death. Listen, are you persuaded of that? Are you convinced of that? See, agreeing to something and it may be acknowledging that it's true, it's one thing. But truly believing, being convinced, that's another thing. That's belief. And it reminds me of the famous tightrope walker, Charles Blondini. You've probably heard this story. In the 1800s, he used to walk across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And crowds would gather and they would come and they would cheer him on. And they'd say, yeah, we believe you can do it. He'd say, do you think I could go across? They'd say, yes, we can. Or yes, we do. We've seen you do it. And one day, then he pointed to somebody and said, you, sir, get in the wheelbarrow. He said, do you believe I can push a wheelbarrow across? Yes, but when it's time to get in the wheelbarrow, it changes everything. See, that's the difference between acknowledging that something is true and believing it enough to place your faith in it. We can assent to the details about Christ, but to be persuaded enough... To place our faith in him as our only hope for heaven, that's another thing, that, but that's genuine belief. See, without belief, the process stops. Yes, we want to get people to the place where they call upon the name of the Lord and they place their faith in Christ, but they can't do that unless they believe. 
on a heart level. They must believe. It must be genuine. It must be sincere. It must be real. Belief is an essential part of the process. And there are plenty of people that have heard the gospel and they've come to this point where it's time to believe and they just wouldn't do it. And the whole sequence of events that is supposed to take place, it all stops. But you know, there's, a, there's something before belief. See, there's something that comes before belief in the process. And it's found in verse 14 again. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? See, hearing... So you see so far in the process, to be saved, you've got a call. It's a calling. But then before that, there's a believing. But before that, there's a hearing. And a hearing, it makes sense. Uh, just like a prerequisite, um, just like believing is a prerequisite to calling. Uh, hearing is a prerequisite to believing. Um, you, you can't believe something if you haven't heard it. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just later in this passage. Hearing God's word was especially vital to these early churches before they had a complete Bible like we do. Think about it. Think about how important hearing was back then. See, they, the gospel message wasn't even all written down yet. So they didn't have a complete Bible. And yes, they had the books of the law, but they didn't have the New Testament that gave the details about Jesus Christ that back then. And so for them to be able to hear the message that was being conveyed, it was passed on word of mouth um, to, from person to person. It was passed on orally. It was very important in their day to hear the word of God. Be thankful that we can hold the word of God in our hands. And I don't have to have somebody stand up and explain it to me for me. I can open it and read it for myself now. Be thankful for that. But, but there is a step in the process of the gospel called hearing, and that someone must hear the message of the gospel before they can believe and before they can call. And there are so many voices out there, so many messages, so much information, so much misinformation, so much, if I can use the phrase, the phrase fake news these days. We must be the ones to commit to being a voice of the gospel, a voice of the truth among all the other voices that people hear. Yes, we've got to live right. And yes, our lives ought to display Jesus Christ. And yes, we ought to have the fruit of the Spirit. And we ought to do right and have a good testimony. But that does not replace our responsibility to make sure that those around us hear about Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility. The gospel is a message that must be heard. Think about all the things we do to ensure it's heard. Think about even right here in our own service that we do to ensure that the gospel and that the message is heard. Uh, we have child care and we have a nursery because it's our prayer that there's a distraction-free environment in which someone can clearly hear the gospel. It's not a matter of control. It's because according to the Bible, it's important that people hear the message. We have a sound system so the message can be heard as clearly as possible. And you say, I hear it loud and clear. It's way too loud. I get that. We have live stream with the prayer that someone listening from home can hear the message. We have deaf interpretation. Uh, not to put pressure on her, but we have deaf interpretation. So the gospel can reach those who may not be able to hear. We even have listening devices that people can take and they put in their ears so they can hear it even better. And listen, to take that idea even further, we support missionaries that can present the gospel in a different language to people to which they're reaching and ministering. The gospel must be heard and we go to great lengths to make sure that it is. 
The message isn't heard, the process stops. How can you call without believing? How can you, how can you believe without hearing? But the process, there's something before hearing even. Look at verse 14, the middle, it says, How shall they believe in him and whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, you've got calling and you've got believing and you've got hearing and you've got telling. Paul uses the word preacher and the word preacher means a herald. It's someone who proclaims a message. That's all it means. And this isn't just referring to a pastor, by the way. We all have a responsibility to tell the message of the gospel, to herald the message of the gospel. I mean, there are countless New Testament stories of common people telling out the message of Jesus Christ. I just think of two, Mark chapter 1, verse 45, there was a leper, and he was healed, and it says he published it much and began to blaze abroad the matter. I like that phrasing. He blazed abroad the matter. The demon-possessed man in Mark 5, he began to publish how great things Jesus had done for him. And you say, well, it's the preacher's responsibility. No, we all have a responsibility to tell. If Christ has touched your life, you have a responsibility to tell. You have a responsibility to herald the message. If you have been redeemed, the only correct response is to publish and blaze abroad how great things God has done for you. People won't call if they don't believe, and they won't believe if they don't hear, and they won't hear if someone won't tell them. And I truly believe that this is a major choke point in the gospel process. God's people, you and I, listen, God's people, you and I, we have failed in our daily responsibility to publish the gospel. And you might say, well, that's your job. You're a pastor. And, you say, and I say, guess what I say to that? You're right. It is my job because I'm a part of a local New Testament church. But if you're a part of a local New Testament church, guess whose job it is too? It's yours. Jesus Christ didn't say, he didn't divvy it up and you say, now listen, the great commission that to go and tell the world about me and, and see them saved and discipled. Listen, 94% of that pie, it belongs on the shoulders of the pastors and elders. No, he says, this is to the church. And if you're part of this New Testament church, just like I am, that we all have a responsibility to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And we could spend a lot of time in application here. I'm just going to ask you, when's the last time you gave someone the gospel? Folks, if it's been, if it's, if it's been weeks, I believe we have failed in our responsibility. If it's been months, we certainly have. If it's been years, most definitely. And if it's never, then God help us. It is not just a pastor's responsibility. It's not just a full-time worker's responsibility. It is every member of a local New Testament church. And as important, though, as this piece is, Paul gives another step in the process that, that is a prerequisite even to telling. So you've got calling. You've got believing. You've got hearing. You've got telling. And then you have sending Look at verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? This is a major piece. And and actually, according to this text, this appears to be the beginning of the process in Paul's line of thinking. But for someone to call, they have to believe. But before they believe, they have to hear. Before they hear, they have to be told. But before the gospel is told, people must be sent. 
And here's where we really get into the meat of missions. A local church sends out messengers to herald the gospel. That's just the way it works. And you say, well, yeah, missionaries. Yeah, we've got missionaries coming in. We'll support them. Send them out. No, I mean church members. It happens on a local level that a New Testament church, a local New Testament church that's functioning as it ought to, ought to be sending out messengers. And that doesn't just mean in foreign languages, and it doesn't just mean in other towns in South Dakota. It means in Sioux Falls, or Brandon, or Harrisburg, or T, or Hartford, or or Canton, wherever you live. If you have a responsibility to go out, to be sent, to tell the message... I mean, it, yes, it, it applies local uh, to globally, but it also applies locally. And we have a responsibility. We must be in the business of sending gospel messenger out, messengers out. We also do send out missionaries. And according to Acts 13, a church prays and, and they lay their hands on and they fast and they sent them away, referring to Paul and Barnabas. That's what we ought to be doing. And I'm convinced we should be doing more. We have as a church, um, we have as a church sent some, but according to Paul, we must ask ourselves, how will more hear if we're not sending? We've dropped. I, I think not just Eastside. I mean, as churches in general, New Testament churches have dropped the ball, and that more aren't being sent. Where are the ones that God can use to take the gospel message? Why aren't there more surrendering to give their lives to take that message? And if we take our responsibility to be faithful in telling the gospel, we've been even, if, if, we've been, if that's our responsibility and we have fallen in our responsibility to tell, then we've been even more inattentive in our responsibility to send. We want the world to be reached, but how, but how if we stop the process? Sending is a vital part of the process. But if our churches aren't sending, labor's missions stops. You understand that if people aren't being sent, missions stops. They can't call if they don't believe, and they can't believe if they don't hear, and they can't hear if we're not telling them. But no one is there to tell them if we're not sending. So what do we do? How do we fix it? Well, do we just say, uh, okay, you, you go to Africa. You, why don't you go over to India? No, I don't believe that's how it works. That doesn't sound like a very good plan to me. I mean, I think Eastside would be ready to send as, as many. We would get behind as many as would say, I want to go. Let's get behind them. But there's a second part of this step in the machine of missions, the Rube Goldberg machine, that seems to get lost. And that is this. If we want them to call because they believe and believe because they hear and hear because they're told and be told because they're sent, then somebody has to be sent. There's two parts to sending. Someone has to say, I'll go. People have to be willing to say, let it be me. I'll take the tracks and I'll put them on doors or I'll take the flyers or door hangers to my neighborhood or I'll tell people at the park about Jesus Christ or I'll tell, tell, tell my coworkers about the Lord or I will go to some other town in South Dakota or this region of the country and be a witness or I'll take my family to the other side of the world. Somebody has to be willing to say, I will be the one that goes So really, we could insert this in the process. And yes, you've got calling, and you've got believing, and you've got hearing, and you've got telling, and you've got sending. But we need somebody that will be about going. Because you don't just send send unwilling people. 
You don't just send people that aren't ready. You send people that say, I am willing and ready. And if, if it, God it wants me to be the one that does it, I would be willing. And you think, well, maybe that's where it all starts. But I think there's a point even before that where this all starts. See, the apostle gives us a, a very first step in this whole process, but most people miss it when they read Romans 10. And we didn't read it when we read our passage, but I want to point something out to you in verse 1. Look at Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You say, okay, what does that mean? Well, Paul's motivation for all of this is his heart for people to be saved. So you want to know the first step in this Rube Goldberg? It's not calling And it's not believing, and it's not hearing, and it's not telling, and it's not sending, and it's not even going. The first step in the gospel process begins in the heart of people who've experienced the gospel themselves. The first step in the gospel, the first step in missions, the foundational piece to going and sending and telling is simply this. It's somebody that cares. A heart that cares. Yeah, I want to see somebody call on the name of the Lord. I'd love to see them believe. I'd love to see them hear. I'd love to see them told and, be, and somebody be sent and be willing to go. But listen, this whole process doesn't begin unless like in verse 1, we like Paul say, but God, I have my heart's desire and prayer for people is that they are saved. Caring is the very first step in the process of the gospel. And I submit to you that the most important piece of the gospel process is not going or sending or telling. It's caring. The choke point that most regularly stops the process is when God's people stop caring for souls like they should. Maybe we've forgotten that every soul represents someone's father. It represents someone's mother or someone's brother or sister. It represents someone's child. But for some reason, the longer we're saved, the more complacent we tend to be about it, the more we take for granted the fact that every soul is a person that spends eternity somewhere. We've lost sight of the fact that about 150,000 people die every single day. But they don't stop existing. Actually, they live on. And they live on in a place called heaven or a place called hell. We've lost sight of the fact that their one chance to hear the message and believe likely begins in the heart of someone like you or or myself who have received the message for ourselves. Their their chance to call begins with somebody who cares. And, And maybe it's that someone is sitting in this room this morning thinking, I'm headed to heaven because of Christ. It would be selfish for me not to tell somebody else about it, to not share that I want someone else to know, and I want to have a part in someone calling because of my caring. 
Because that person cares, then maybe they surrender themselves to God and they say, send me, I'll go. So a church gets behind them and helps them and supports them. And and eventually that person then finds themselves in some area that is unreached and they're telling and they're giving the gospel. And maybe then one day they're heralding the message and one day somebody who's never even heard the name of Jesus walks up to them and starts talking to them and they hear the name, they hear the message and the sent person that cared in the first place is now in position to give the person that's never heard the gospel and observe as their heart is convicted of their sin and they believe the truth and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And it all started because way back when somebody cared. Somebody had a heart for the lost. Someone said, I'm not willing to just sit back and let the world die. I want to have a part in them calling on the name of the Lord. And so I'm going to start caring. In the process, if we go back to the beginning, began that with somebody that cared. Cared enough to go. Cared enough to, to give. Cared enough to be sent. They cared enough to tell A message that most people ignore or reject and resent. Yet they cared enough to give it clearly so someone could hear and believe and be saved. If the work of the gospel, Eastside Baptist Church, if the work of the gospel has stopped, it's most likely because God's people have stopped caring. If God's people don't care, the process stops. Going without caring? I mean, think about it. If someone doesn't care and yet there's a call to go, they're not going to go. If someone doesn't care and there's a call to, to uh, send, probably people aren't going to get behind it. If, there's a, if someone doesn't care and there's a call to tell even just your neighbors, they're very likely not going to get here if they don't accomplish what's there. See, there's a step in the process. There, there's the caring, and there's the going, and there's the sending, and there's the telling, and there's the hearing, and there's the believing, and there's the calling, and it's one step right after another. But anywhere along the line, the process can stop. And I submit to you, it usually stops right here in the very first place. Because God's people have stopped caring like they should for the souls that will spend eternity somewhere. A lack of care stops the process, so why don't we care? I would submit to you it's maybe because you're busy. Have you gotten too busy with life that you've forgotten you're supposed to care for souls? Or maybe you've grown unthankful or complacent about the fact that Jesus Christ saved you. Have you grown unthankful for what Christ did in your life? Because I truly believe, according to Romans 12, if we remember the mercy, we have no problem submitting ourselves to God. But it could be that you've either gotten too busy or you've grown unthankful for what Christ did in your own life. And so you've stopped caring. Maybe you've grown accustomed to life in your little box. And, and you know, when, where it's very easy for us as Americans to forget that in other places all around the world, they don't live the kind of lives we do. 
They live in poverty and they live without running water and without enough food on a daily basis. And they live in places that we would probably not even step foot in. And even more than that, there are places all around the world, even today, where Christians are being persecuted just because they say the name of Jesus Christ. And we forget that unless somebody tells people in countries like that, they'll never hear the gospel. And we live in our little boxes, comfortable. And we forgot that every person is a soul. And will spend eternity somewhere. If it was my son, I'd want somebody to care enough. If it's my wife and my kids, I'd want somebody to say, I'm not just content to live in my little box. I'm not just content to stay busy. I'm not just content to be unthankful for salvation. I'm going to step outside of myself. And I'll give and I'll go and I'll send and I'll tell so that someone can hear and believe and call. People caring directly impacts people calling. Care enough to ask God to help you care. Care enough to pray like Paul said he did in verse 1. Care enough to be willing to go. Care enough to tell. If you don't care enough, remember somebody cared enough for you. Someone else who you may not even know gave money so a missionary or pastor could come to where you are and tell you about Christ or tell your parents about Christ or your family, your grandparents. Someone cared enough to go. They cared enough to leave where they were so you could hear and believe. And if the gospel is a Rube Goldberg machine, I believe the step that most commonly stops the process is at the very beginning where God's people have grown complacent They're saved and comfortable and even acknowledging the importance of telling and sending, but the lack of care has become a choke point in the gospel process. Has the gospel process been stopped in your heart because you're too busy? Has it stopped in your heart because you're backslidden and away from God? Has it stopped in your heart because you're no longer thankful really for what Jesus Christ has done for you? Maybe you're thankful, but you don't really think about it much. Has it stopped because you're too complacent to what you've received? When people care, the process goes on, but when people don't, the process stops. And if the process stops, I have to ask the question, how are they going to call? If the process stops at caring or going or sending or telling or hearing or believing, how are they going to call? That's the question Paul's asking. How are they going to call if we don't make sure the process moves forward? That's what's at stake. We should all be thankful we serve a God who cares for us. He cared enough. Listen, he cared enough. Think about what he did. He cared enough to send. Remember, we're back at the beginning. The whole process plays out. You've got God, for God so loved the world, he cared, that he gave his only begotten son, who, by the way, said, I'll go. Jesus Christ came, he, he was willing to go, and so what did God do? He sent him. 
And Jesus Christ came, and he didn't just come and live a life of luxury. No, he came telling people how to, to repent and be saved. The kingdom is at hand. So you've got, you've got caring, you've got willingness to go, you've got sending, you've got Jesus Christ telling. And you've got people all through the countryside there in Israel, and they all heard, but only some of them believed. And even fewer of them then called. So even with Jesus Christ, the process wasn't 100%. But here's the thing. God's not asking anything more of us than he wasn't willing to do with his own son. And if God cared for me like that, if I've been the recipient of a process like that, and I'm just a whosoever, then who am I to say that the world of whosoever is out there that haven't heard, they don't deserve the same process I've been the benefactor of. It's time for us to see it as it truly is and that we've been recipients of God's amazing grace greater than anything we can think of. And for us to sit on it is the ultimate height of selfishness. It's time to start caring. There's a world of whosoever is just waiting for somebody to care enough to engage this process. You say, well, the chances of them calling are low. That doesn't really matter. We are to be as involved in this process as we can be and let God work out the results. But where has the process stopped for you? Is it stopped at caring or a willingness to go or a willingness to tell? We have a responsibility in missions. It's not just us bringing in missionaries and their job to do it all. No, we have a responsibility as a local New Testament church to engage in the process. And if we miss it because we don't care, God help us. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.